Heavenly Father, you are good, you are generous. You're forgiving, you're kind, you're loving, you're slow to anger, abounding in love. Great is your faithfulness. Lord God, as we gather together today, as we think about our lives and our futures, as we think about our current reality, uh, where we've been, where we're going, where we are right now, Lord, I pray that uh, in this moment, you would speak to us. God, as we continue on this journey, as we talk about what life looks like, being consumed and, and how to break out of that, Lord God, give us insight and very practical wisdom. Lord, I pray that this time together is helpful. I know it's true, but Lord, I pray that it's helpful for the sake of you and for the sake of people who want to know more. Lord, we want to do this right. We only get one shot to go through life. And so Lord, uh, make us wise as we consider our steps and consider our days in the powerful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. All right, so here it is, week five in our Consumed series. We're getting close to the end. We're going to wrap it up next week. And like I said a few minutes ago, we're going to start a new series Easter weekend. Now, the visual that we've been using throughout this entire series, you see it on the screen, you see it on your spread the word, you see it right behind me is Pac-Man, okay? The game Pac-Man. Awesome game. Great game, okay? Some of you played it growing up. Some of you still play it. You might walk into a restaurant. You're like, oh, look, they got Pac-Man there. It's kind of like an ancient game. We actually bought Pac-Man um, as a little plug-and-play thing for our TV about seven or eight years ago. And to honor this series, my family has played it a number of times. I've gotten my kids addicted to it. It's awesome. If you play it and you haven't played for a long time, you know, of course, it's got the joystick there. Your hand will hurt the next day. Okay, it will hurt, but it'll be worth it because Pac-Man is an incredible game. But it's a really sad picture of a sad existence if that's what your life looks like. And that's what we've been trying to say throughout this entire series. You see, the point of Pac-Man is to gobble up, gobble up, gobble up, accumulate, grab, spend, kind of take all that you can, get as many of those little dots as possible, and then move on to the next level, where you can get even more in a shorter amount of time. It becomes a little harder, but you get addicted to it, and you want to get more and more and more, and you try to get as many dots, as many points as possible. Is that what life's about? Because if it is, if it is, I think we're on the wrong path. You see, continual consumption can corrode your life. In a nutshell, that's what we've been saying over these past four weeks. Continual consumption can corrode your life. It can damage your life. It can wear you down. It can cause you more heartache, more stress, more pain. Just when we think, you know, that if we buy the shiny new object or we join this or we upgrade here or we get this new thing in our house, just when we think that's going to bring me peace and joy and contentment, what does it cause? Usually more stress and more heartache and more pain and more work and more things to take care of. You know, you get a bigger yard, you got more to mow, right? Okay? You, you get a bigger house, you've got more to clean. Okay? Nothing wrong with all that, but we need to be mindful of the fact that continual consumption can corrode your life. And so what I want to do today is give the cure for that. The antidote, if you will. Here's what it is. Generosity is the only cure for consumption. So if continual consumption can corrode your life, I believe generosity, and we believe this as a church, is the only cure for consumption. And when you get this right in your life, you begin to figure things out 
and, and your eyes open up to new possibilities. You see, if we can just get this right, if we can make a decision that we're going to make our lives about generosity, then I think the world kind of opens up in front of us. Does it make life easier all the time? Of course not. We'll talk about that. But man, does it free you in ways that God designs and intends for you to live. Now, here's the thing. That sounds great. It sounds ideal. It sounds wonderful. You say, I want a piece of that, right? But there's two big questions, I think, that we really need to drill down on today. Here's the first one. What if I don't feel like being generous? Say, Pastor Ryan, I get it. Yep, I want to be generous. I'm tracking with you during this Consume series. But uh, what if I don't feel like being generous? Have you ever had those moments where, you know, I don't feel like fill in the blank, okay? I don't feel like getting up in the morning, Okay, has daylight savings time affected anyone else? Okay, all right. So here's the thing. You know, I know that everyone loves that it's lighter later, and that's a wonderful thing. But you know what that means? That means it's darker earlier later in the morning, which makes it hard for some people to roll out of bed. And, you know, you've heard this before, but whoever thought of daylight savings times for parents with young children, ugh, Let's just say they don't adjust quite as well, right? Okay, some of you know this really well. What if I don't feel like getting up in the morning? So what do you do? What do you do when you don't feel like getting up in the morning? What do you tell your boss when you tell him you don't feel like getting up in the morning? Okay? Well, you might tell him that and then he'll tell you something and that'll be the end of the discussion right there, okay? So what if I don't feel, what if I don't feel like being generous. What if I don't feel like working out? Have you ever had that? You're like, okay, I'm going to go to work, get out at 4.30. At 4.45, I got my bag packed. We're going to go to the gym. 4.30 hits. You're like, ugh, I don't feel like working out. Have you ever had that experience? Okay, I, I think we all have. You know, I'm training right now for the St. Louis Go Half Marathon. It's coming up in a few weeks. And I got to tell you, I have not felt like training much over the past few months, okay? I, I like to run. I don't love to run. I like to run. I, I, I run. But it's been cold. It's been nasty out like this. It just, I've been busy. Things have been going on. I'm like, been sick. I'm like, I don't feel like working out. You know what I have on my schedule to do after worship in, in a little while? I need to run 10 miles, I don't feel like running 10 miles. Is anyone with me? Anybody else not? That's right. That's right. So you know what I'm going to do after church? I'm not going to run 10 miles, okay? And then I'm going to be in a world of hurt in about three weeks when I need to run 13.1 miles. But I don't feel like doing it. What do you do when you don't feel like loving? You know, Andy Stanley, a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, he says, falling in love requires a pulse. Staying in love requires a plan. And I think we'd all agree that falling in love is a lot easier than staying in love. But what do you do if you don't feel like loving your spouse, your friend, your mom, your dad, your children? What do you do if you don't feel like it anymore? And then back to the generosity thing. What if I don't feel like being generous? Okay, I think we've beaten that horse a little bit. Second thing, okay, how do I start? So these are two questions we're going to ask. What if I don't feel like being generous? And okay, what if, what if, okay, I don't feel it, but I think I should do it. How do I start? How do I get going on this path in order 
to be generous. These are the two things that we're going to talk about. And here's the cool thing, lucky for us. Jesus got to the core of these issues about 2,000 years ago. In a little talk that he gave, thus known as to many scholars and, and other people, the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to jump into that today. I'm going to give you some context of it, and we're going to catch it about two-thirds of the way through. And we're going to look at what Jesus said in this talk that gets to the heart of these two questions as we talk about generosity being the only cure for consumption. So I want to invite you, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, totally cool, we got you covered. Uh, Grab the Bible that's right in front of you, turn to page 960, or if you're a regular worshiper here and you use YouVersion, you can go to YouVersion, our live event, STJ, STL, on your iPad or iPhone or whatever you use, okay, you can go there. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 19. Now, as you're flipping there, let me just give you the context, okay? In Jesus' ministry, again, 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, kind of right over there by the Mediterranean Sea in Israel, a massive group of people has started to follow Jesus. Why? Because he's been this incredible miracle worker. You know, to them, he's almost like a magician. He can do amazing things. He talks, and, and, the, and the winds die down, and, and he can feed thousands of people with just a couple of things, and, and he can heal those who have been uh, hurt, and he can give hope to those who are crying, and he's done all these things. And so over time, there builds this crowd, this massive crowd that keeps following him. And so Jesus will be teaching, and there will be a massive crowd there. Jesus will get in a boat with his disciples try to get away from the people. You know, the Bible talks about Jesus withdrawing to a desolate place, tries to get away, but you know what happens? This massive group of people, they kind of scurry around together, and they try to beat Jesus to the other side of the lake, and they want to meet him there. And so you got this massive group of people that's together. In Matthew chapter 5, you know, at the beginning of his talk, says there's a large group of people, but it says also that Jesus sat down to teach. He sat down to teach. Sitting down was the acceptable posture of Jewish rabbis, synagogue leaders back in the first century. Which is exactly why, as preachers here at St. John, we sit. Okay? No! Okay, just checking to see if you're paying attention to me. That is not why we sit. Why do we sit? Because we talk too long. Okay, that's why we sit. All right, okay. Now, yeah, we don't, we don't do it because it's the pious thing to do. We do it because we talk too long. So it says, Jesus sat down to teach. There's a group of disciples, probably much smaller than the crowd, who's really keen in on what he's saying. We're catching this thing about two-thirds of the way through his talk. Look at Matthew 6, verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Now remember, Jesus is talking to a first century audience in the Middle East. Moth and rust could damage goods. I mean, we know this today. You know, elements and weather and other things, they can damage what we have. And so we need to be careful about what we put in the basement and what we put in storage units and in our garage and and all that kind of stuff. We pay attention to it because it can be damaged. Now, look at the second part, where thieves break in and steal. You know, thieves could literally dig through the mud brick homes of the Palestinians in the first century. So if a thief were going to break in, he would probably bust through the wall. He could dig through it, break in, and steal. So Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. You know, he's given an appropriate warning. Now remember, remember, money is not bad. Money is not evil. 
Having nice stuff is not bad. Going on spring break watching this from Florida is not a bad thing. It's an awesome thing, right? Okay? You can do all that. Enjoy life. We talked about this. Ecclesiastes talks about enjoying the, the wonderful, fine things of life, wine and food and, and everything else. You know, if you walk away from this series thinking that, you know, our church believes that having money is a bad thing, we don't, okay? Because God's word doesn't talk about that. Jesus has given a warning so that we might know that when we misplace our priorities and our values regarding our finances and every other aspect of our life, we're in trouble. Because it has the potential to lead us down a road or a path that we don't want to go. So Jesus is just given a little appropriate warning here. Why? Because Jesus knows that continual consumption can corrode your life. That's the danger of being consumed. Now in contrast, look at verse 20. But store up for yourselves, okay, don't do it there, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You know, a phrase that goes back to ancient Jewish literature. Treasures in heaven. Things that are more lasting, more significant, things that are more noble. Things like forgiveness, joy, peace, contentment, hope. Treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Okay, moth and rust can't touch that. And thieves, we're, we're thieves, do not break in and steal. You know, no thief can take your hope. No thief can steal your joy. He can try, but he can't steal your joy. He can't walk away with your joy, with your faith, with the forgiveness that you can give to another person or the forgiveness that you can receive from Jesus Christ. You know, those things that are more noble. So why does all this matter? Because it's building, building, building to the next verse where Jesus says one of the most profound things, I think, personally, humble opinion, that comes out of his mouth, which has a direct impact for our lives and cuts to the chase and takes away all excuses and all pretenses for being consumed. Here it is, verse 21. Let's read it out loud together. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, let's read it one more time. Let's bring it up a notch. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you catch the placement of the word heart? Look at that. Your heart will follow your treasure. Whether you care to admit it or not, your heart will follow your treasure. Now let's think about this from a few different angles this morning. Okay, When I was growing up, my dad thought it would be a good idea to teach us four kids about investing and about the stock market. My dad was a stock market CEO kind of guy, commodities, all that kind of jazz. And so we played a game in my family called the stock market game. And so what we did for nine months, my dad gave each of us four kids $10,000, okay? In fake money, okay? All right. No parent should give their child $10,000. Hear me? Don't do it. Bad idea. It'll ruin them, okay? $10,000 in fake money, okay? So we each had this $10,000 pool. And over whatever it was, nine months or whatever, whatever it was, we could buy and sell stocks so that we would learn about how to pay attention to such things, how to invest, how to read the Wall Street Journal, read Barron's, watch CNBC, okay? You tracking with me? All right, so CNBC, you know, is the 
uh, news network for all things financial and all things Wall Street. And so, you know, there's that little ticker at the bottom. I got to know some pretty good um, stock ticker symbols. You know, I remember Coca-Cola was a big one back then and Bethlehem Steel. You know, I think they're no longer in business. I don't know. But, you know, I remember watching all that. Prior to that, the only ticker symbols that I knew anything about were found on ESPN. All right, okay, so my dad was trying to expand our horizons a bit. Okay, you need to do this with your kids or grandkids. Just a fun, fun game. Taught me a lot. But here's the thing. Here's what it did. It taught me to pay attention to where I was putting my treasure, my fake treasure, okay? How many of you know the value of Apple stock today? Anybody? What is it? Yeah, pretty, pretty close. It closed Friday at 4.43, a little over 4.43, okay? Why in the world would we know that? Well, okay, I, some of us are curious, and we just kind of look, but some of us might know that because we have put part of our treasure there. Not a bad thing, so clearly a wonderful thing, actually, okay? You put part of your treasure there, and what has happened as a result? Your heart has followed. Now, think about Think about Cambodia, okay? Three years ago, how many of us truly had a heart for Cambodia? How many of us thought a lot about the kids in Cambodia? We thought about the opportunity to build a dormitory there. How many of us thought that our congregation on the other side of the world could make a difference there? I didn't even know the capital of Cambodia three years ago. And yet, as a church, your generosity has allowed us to put our treasure there. You know what's happened as a result? Our hearts have followed. And many people have seen their worlds turned upside down because their hearts have followed to another place. So back to generosity. What do you do if you don't feel like being generous? Because sometimes we wait we wait too long and we wait for our hearts to feel like being generous before we're actually generous. If you wait for that feeling, you're going to be waiting way too long. You're going to miss out on certain opportunities. So I got to tell you this, okay? To answer the first question, a generous heart is formed through action. A generous heart is formed through action. You see, Jesus knew something about action. Remember, generosity is the only cure for consumption. Action matters. And Jesus himself knew something about action. Jesus didn't just say or whisper to us, hey, I love you. Don't forget. If I change my mind, I'll tell you. Okay? Okay? That's what some of us do. We say it once. Honey, I love you. If I change my mind, I'll tell you, okay? But otherwise, assume I love you, right? Yeah, not good. Dudes, don't do it, okay? Not wise. A generous heart is formed through action. Jesus knows about action. Jesus acted on our behalf. Jesus didn't just whisper, I love you. Jesus demonstrated how he loved us through his sacrificial life, death, and resurrection. We're in the middle of this season right now called Lent. We're making our way, journeying towards the cross together. Go to this Holy Week experience. This will be incredible as we see in a visual way how Jesus acted on our behalf. And as he acts on our, or acted on our behalf, he then offers us life and forgiveness, and hope, and salvation. He gives it to us. And so as recipients of that, we then have the privilege of living our lives generously, 
and it getting a generous heart, but a generous heart is formed through action. Now, there are things that will try to get in the way of that. You know, look at verse 19 again. Look at verse 19. What gets in the way of steering your heart towards generous action? Well, storing up treasures on earth. That'll get in the way. You say, you know what? I like my stuff. That's cool. You can like your stuff. But when your stuff gets in the way, when it becomes so much you need to take care of, that all of a sudden your heart is steered more towards that than your Savior, then we've got a problem. You know, when, when it's all consuming in your life, you got to pay attention to it. Second thing, though, look at verse 24. It's not only storing up treasures on earth, but look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So, so in addition to storing up treasures on earth, when you have a conflicted or confused commitment about all of it, it'll get in the way of steering your heart towards generous action. But when you know Christ, we said this a few, year, few years Every, every week, but especially a few weeks ago. Knowing Christ puts the rest of your life in proper perspective. When you know Christ, not simply when you know about him, not when you just know the facts and you know all the, the ins and outs and, and all the theology and the doctrine and all that kind of stuff, but truly knowing Christ, being in a relationship with him. You know, Christ living inside of you, as Paul said 2,000 years ago, it puts the rest of your life in proper perspective. So, Let's just answer the question when you don't feel like being generous. What do you do? Try it anyway. Seriously. When you don't feel like being generous, try it anyway. Because a generous heart is formed through action. When you don't feel like it, try it anyway. Do it. Okay, you may have never heard this in church before, but I'm going to say it. Fake it. Okay? Fake it till you make it. Fake it till you feel it whatever, sometimes you got to fake it. You got to do it. You just got to put yourself there. Generous heart is formed through action. Now, if we think about relationships again, think about marriage, okay? How many of you have been married 25 plus years? Okay, raise your hand. Now stand up. Stand up. You've been married 25 plus years. Stand up. Stand up, okay? That's right. Cheers. Okay. Over those 25 years plus, okay, and even if you've been dating for six months and you're here, but I'm just highlighting kind of the upper end of it. If you've been married that long, there have been moments in your marriage, I guarantee you, if you admit to me, where you have not felt like loving. You have not felt like forgiving. And yet, because of your commitment, you chose to do it. You had to do it. You didn't want to do it. It was the last thing you wanted to do, but you did it over and over and over again. Stay standing if you've been married 35 plus years. Okay, everyone else can be seated. 35 plus, 35 plus, awesome. You know this even more, okay? All right, 45 years, stay standing if you're 45 years, okay? Again, for almost, almost a half century, you've been doing this. You've been doing this, okay? You've made the choice over and over and over again. Okay, if you've been married more than 50 years, stay standing. 50 years. Okay, awesome. Okay, what a landmark. 55 years, keep standing. Okay, all right. 
60 years keep standing. Awesome. The Jacobs, woo. Fantastic. Can you yell out how loud, how long? 62 years. Fantastic. You guys can grab a seat. They've proven, you've proven, many of us have seen it. Staying in love, staying in love is a lot harder than falling in love. Because you've got to make a choice over and over and over again to make a commitment. Did I miss someone? I'm really sorry. How long have you been married? 65 years. Hey, all right. Awesome. Praise God. You know, when you're preaching, you've got to pay attention to the whispers, that are there, the, little, the little rumbles that are going on right around you. That's incredible. I mean, what a blessing. What a blessing. But, but you know, you know, you know, you all know that staying in love is harder than falling in love. That over and over and over again, you've got to do this. So again, from a generosity standpoint, a generous heart is formed through action. But also, a generous heart makes way for a generous lifestyle. A generous heart makes way for a generous lifestyle. When it's formed through action, it opens up doors and opens up windows and it opens up these huge opportunities to bless and to impact and to make an eternal difference in the lives of people. You know, generous people assume abundance, not scarcity. Generous people are joyful. Generous people are content. Generous people know that this is a great investment strategy. Look at verses 19 and 20, to be generous. And also, here's the thing. Generous people never regret being generous. I've never met anyone who says, man, if I, if, doggone it, if I would have kept that money for myself, we could have done this, this, this. No. Generous people never regret it. So, so what do I do if I don't feel like being generous? You do it anyhow. How do I start doing that? A couple things. One, follow small impulses to be generous. I want to invite you to start that today. Follow small impulses to be generous. You know, when we wrap up in a few minutes, some of you are going to go out to breakfast or brunch or lunch or you're going to go out to dinner tonight. Follow the small impulses and consider me your small impulse right now, Okay to be generous because you will have the opportunity to bless through a note, through, through a greater tip, through a nice conversation, through your warmth, through your smile, to bless someone who, who's working on Sunday. And, and we don't know the stories of, of people who work at different shifts and different times, but I'll tell you this, behind every face there's a story. And because there's a story behind every single face, that is an opportunity for us to live the six, to make a difference in the lives of people. And so follow small impulses to be generous. Even if you don't feel like it, try it. Try it today. And then try it tomorrow. And as you do that, you're going to practice the power of repetition. If you want to just begin a new habit, it's important to change behavior. Practice the power of repetition as you follow small impulses in your life. So the weekly challenge that we want to give you, okay, we've got one more coming up next week, but the weekly challenge this week is find a way to live generously. And I believe the best ways to do that are to follow small impulses and then practice the power of repetition. Find a way to live generously. To bless the, the pizza driver 
who's going to deliver pizza at your house this afternoon because you don't want to go out and you want to stay in the comfort and confines of your own home, bless him in some significant way. Do it to the waiter or the waitress that you're going to see in 35 or 45 minutes. Okay, think about the person at the grocery store as they're bagging your groceries, as they're serving you, as they're reaching out to you, reach out to them. Even when you don't feel like it. Because your heart will follow and your heart will be changed and people will be blessed. And the Christian church, our Christian community, and our Christian witness can give all glory to God as he allows us to be used for his purposes. Let's stand and pray. Gracious God, we know that over these upcoming hours, certainly these upcoming days, you're going to give us opportunities to do that. You're going to give us opportunities to live out the freedom, the identity, the love, and the grace and mercy that you've extended to us. You're going to give us the privilege of extending it to other people. So Lord, we pray for open hearts in that. God, we pray for uh, open doors. And Lord, I pray that as we receive those small impulses, that in faith you would give us the opportunity to follow them over and over and over again. And that you would change our hearts to be more generous. To not be consumed by the things of this world, but to be generous in our life and in our giving for other people. Jesus, as we get ready now to celebrate and to receive what you want to give to us, in the Lord's Supper, in that sacred meal that you instituted 2,000 years ago. Lord, we humbly confess and admit our failures, our shortcomings, our sins to you. Lord, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just. And you will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise that we can read of and that we can trust. So Lord, in this moment, we silently and humbly confess our sins to you. Hear our confession, O God.